the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Hello and welcome. It is a Thursday. It is the 18th day of July, if you hadn't been keeping track. And it's Craig Roberts with you, as always. And uh, we hang out here pretty much every day, Monday through Friday, from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing addressing in, in English. We'll try to do the show in English tonight. <laughs> addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, we're going to try to do more of that the same. We have a flurry of activity in the background in live radio. It's always fascinating when things don't go exactly as planned. Uh, We've got a little bit of a telephone system hiccup. And uh, like two good surgeons leaning over the patient, uh, we've got the engineer and the the, uh, operations manager here wildly working to try and resolve this issue. Little phone system hiccup that uh, I think largely they just didn't bother to Feed the squirrel is <laughs> really what truly what happened. And so while they're figuring that out, uh, let's talk about what's coming up on tonight's show. Pastor John Jester is going to join us a little bit later on in this evening's program, if all goes well and the crick don't rise any higher. Um, you hear his thoughtful messages um, several times a week here on KFAX and uh, each Friday at 5.15, kind of the Paul Harvey of Christian Radio. And we've asked uh, asked Pastor Jester to just uh, kind of drop into the program for a minute, few minutes, talk about uh, what's going on in uh, in ministry, and we'll get to that conversation coming up a little bit later on. Um, we are also hopefully, as they are feverishly pressing buttons, dialing things, tearing wires apart, et cetera, et cetera, uh, working to get our first guest on tonight. Uh, that may end up being me. <laughs> and only me, um, to discuss uh, what's going on with the American dream. Largely, we see this shift, this earthquake within the body politic um, since the uh, 2017 or 2016 election that is demonstrative, I think, at many layers of the growing frustration what has happened to the American dream? And is it suddenly out of reach? Has the American dream turned into the American nightmare for growing numbers of our fellow citizens who just find the economics of it all being placed further and further out of reach? And if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know well too well uh, what that means to be uh, working parents, putting a child or children through school, trying to save money for things like family vacations, children's higher education once they graduate um, high school level to put them onto a two- or four-year track because education is important. And then all of that as you're trying to pay for a house. And then don't forget you have to save for retirement, too, in there, too. Wow. So it becomes a uh, an interesting juggling act. 
trying to pull all of the economics of it together and maintain some kind of hold on the American dream. But what that looks like, well, uh, very difficult to say and um, certainly becoming more and more challenging as we move um, further down the timeline here, so to speak. And as the cost of living in areas like the San Francisco Bay region becomes more and more expensive, that dream gets further out of reach to the point where maybe some folks are just going to say, that's it, I give up. Um, and and is there a correlation between uh, that sense of frustration and what we see going on in our nation today, not only morally and socially, but racially and spiritually as well? Um, my first guest, if we're able to get him on, might argue that that indeed is is the case, that there is a direct correlation between the economics of it all, the disappointment related to the American dream, and where things are headed. All right, is that was that a good sign? Was that a, was that a yes? We think we've worked this out. Sign I'm getting from the control room. These four poor folks in their cars are thinking, "How long is this fool going to babble on?" <laughs> See, normally we'd have a little bit of uh, filler music in here to kind of. Uh, you know, uh, circus music or something in the background to get us to where we need to go. Uh, do we think we have Brian on the line? Brian, are you there? Ah, fantastic. All right, great, Brian. I apologize for that. I think they forgot to feed the squirrel in the phone system somehow. <laughs> and so I have been busy uh, very patiently vamping for you to, uh, to join us on the program tonight. Let me introduce you to the audience. Uh, we're visiting with Professor of Economics at Covenant College. He is the author of a number of books, including his latest, Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream, newly released by Moody Publishers. And, uh, Professor Fickert, let's get into uh, some of the nitty-gritty of all of this. As I was kind of alluding to during my vamping there for a moment, uh, there's been a lot of downward pressure on the American dream, for many putting it further and further out of reach, almost to the point where for some it's become a nightmare when they try to juggle not just the reality of the American dream being further and further out of reach, but then the frustration of trying to be able to do minimum things to get along, whether that's pay for the mortgage, put food on the table, send a child to school. <laughs> Heavens yet to think about things like four-term or four-year education for a child or planning for retirement. And it seems as if more layers of this dream are sort of falling by the wayside. Is it time for us to revisit this? Do we need to perhaps redefine the American dream in light of what's happening in our nation economically, particularly for the middle class? Actually, I think the situation's far worse than you just described. <laughs> and, and here's the problem. Uh, oh, certainly there are uh, increased financial challenges for some people. But the truth of the matter is, uh, Western civilization in general, and the United States in particular, have achieved unprecedented economic growth over the course of the last century. Uh, from 1946 to 2014, real per capita income in the United States tripled. Uh, the United States has experienced unprecedented economic growth and uh, through the process of globalization, we're actually spreading Western-style capitalism to the rest of the world. And that capitalism is tremendously effective at reducing poverty in a purely material sense. In the past 30 years, uh, the global poverty rate has dropped by 50%. It's the most dramatic reduction in poverty in all of human history. But here's the problem. 
despite the fact that our incomes have skyrocketed, we're less and less happy. There's something wrong with our story. The story of Western civilization, the story of the American dream is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, uh, 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 plow forward, get a job, earn more income, increase your wealth. And the reality of it is, as that's happening, the self-reported happiness of the average American is declining. And if you look at more objective measure, measures than that, you see a similar story. Uh, physical well-being is on the decline. Uh, anxiety and depression have been skyrocketing, not just recently, but from the 1930s to the present. We've seen a steady increase in depression amongst America's youth. Something has gone terribly wrong. And we can all feel it, can't we? I, I think so. Wrong. And, and I think that we would conclude that there are dynamics here that are not only of a of a financial accomplishment arena, but certainly there is a spiritual dynamic that plays into all of this. And I'm wondering if perhaps from your perspective, maybe part of the problem might be that while we've always touted and talked about the American dream, we've never fully identified what that is, and maybe it has morphed over the decades to the point now where it's no longer realistic based on how we have redefined it. For example, for our parents and in a post-World War II environment, the American dream was to buy a home, own a home, buy a car, buy a TV set, send a child or two to school, and quietly retire. And largely, much of that was attainable. And I think it was largely attainable because uh, we didn't buy five cars for the family. There was the family car. That was it. It wasn't the home here in the Bay Area and the home up in Tahoe. It was just one home. And when we retired, there weren't usually very lofty plans, much beyond maybe hanging out with the grandkids or, uh, you know, spending some time on the golf course. And you usually had a pension plan to rely upon. And so there are degrees to which it seems as as our standard of living has increased, our expectations perhaps of how we define and what we expect out of that so-called American dream has also increased. So is there a correlation between maybe the redefining of the American dream to a certain degree, at least in comparison to past generations, and the sense of frustration when people are essentially uh, unable to obtain it? You've hit the nail on the head. What, what scholars are finding is that we're kind of on a consume-earn, consume-earn treadmill. And so we set a goal for ourselves to increase our incomes, and we achieve that goal, and it's kind of like opening that present at Christmas. It's really great. It's a really great toy when you're a kid for about a day or two, and then you kind of get sick of it. And that's what we're discovering about uh, the American consumer. Our incomes go up. And we think we've achieved something, and it seems really great. And it's not very long that we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm not that happy. And, and what we try to do is to fill that void in our lives by increasing our income and cre- increasing our consumption one more time. We do that, and we get there, but we're not that happy. So we continue the process over and over again. And as we do that, we're working ourselves into the ground. We have less and less time for those things that both the Bible and social scientists are finding really contribute to happiness, deep community, lasting relationships, meaningful friendships, uh, walking with God throughout our lives. These are the things that are for human flourishing. But we're, we're, we've got ourselves in this treadmill, so we have less and less time for it. It really counts. And we can't figure out why we're, why we're spiraling downwards. The, the problem is we've misunderstood the nature of human flourishing and of how such flourishing is achieved. 
And, of course, in the old days, we used to call that trying to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, the problem is we've figured out or have not or failed to figure out that it's an impossibility to try to, to keep up with the Joneses and to maintain this level of, of ever-increasing American consumerism where we engage in levels that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, when the television set didn't work, you called the TV repairman. He came out to the house with his big case. He opened it up. He swapped out a couple of tubes. The TV set was back on you paid him 20 bucks he went about his way and the tv was good to go for three or four four more years now we look at it after the tv set has been in place for two years and say oh my goodness you know what this isn't the 4k Uh, the resolution on this tv set is awful we need to go out and drop another grand and go buy a new tv set and we'll give this one to the kids and so I wonder if we've kind of but sort of got caught up in this sense of consumerism where we're constantly struggling to, quote, unquote, keep up with the Joneses, or at least in our own mind's eye, our expectations of the standard of living that the Joneses ought to be enjoying. Now you've got exactly correct. You know, what research is finding is that most people actually, um, what they're really doing is trying to have a higher income than those around them. And so it's actually a, a sense of dominance, a sense of I'm superior, which is what people are actually looking for. And the problem is, is that as your income goes up, Craig, then I have to have mine go up to maintain my sense of superior, <laughs> superiority over you. So we are both caught in this upward spiral. Neither one of us are winning. What we've really got to do is pull back and redefine what human flourishing looks like. You made references earlier to community. That's another area that maybe is tied into our consumerism, uh, because the, today, on average, a family will stay in a home for four to five years before they either move elsewhere or sell that home. Maybe they're going to chase a better um, employment opportunity for the husband or the wife, whatever the case might be. There's there's mobility taking place, and as we engage in that mobility, we typically then begin to experience a disconnect of the extended family where several generations ago it wasn't unusual to have parents, their siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, grandchildren, all living together in the same neighborhood. And so there was a greater sense of family and community because we weren't separated by miles. We bought a home, and from the time we got married and had our first child until the time we retired, we lived in that same home, probably had a mortgage-burning party at some point along the way, and we were quite satisfied with all of that. Today, if you're not moving because you're trying to chase the better-paying job, you're moving because you got tired of the house, it doesn't have a swimming pool, it's just too small, how are we possibly going to live with only 2,000 square feet, things of this sort. And so that, imagine, has been contributory to what you're suggesting, Professor, of this growing dissatisfaction because we're, we're kind of tearing apart many of the community um, connections that we used to have, be it at school, at church, or within the family. Hit the nail on the head again. You know, Western civilization is increasingly dominated by a single story. And that's the story of economic life. Uh, the economy has grown in its importance in our lives. And, and what's so disturbing to me as an economist is that at the heart of the economic story is this character called Homo economicus. That's how economists refer to this person. And it's economist caricature of the typical human being. And, and what Homo economicus looks like is this rational, highly individualistic, purely material, 
autonomous robot. And, and, and this robot's happiness is increased by having its consumption go up and its leisure go up. In this paradigm, work is actually bad. Leisure is good, work is bad, greater consumption is good. That's the paradigm. And, and that paradigm is at the heart of economics as a discipline. It's what's taught in business schools. And so the architecture of Western civilization, the institutions that we have, the marketplace, and increasingly government and even the nonprofit sector are dominated by the story of serving homo economicus. And it's not always transparent, it's not always explicit, but it's the implicit God that's lurking behind all of this. But the biblical picture is much different. In, in the Bible, the human being is not just a body, it's a body and a soul that are highly integrated. And, and more than that, this highly integrated body and soul are deeply wired for relationship, relationship with God, with self, with others, and with the rest of creation. Work is good. And so we are body-soul relational creatures, not just physical beings. And that different understanding of what a human being is results in different understandings of human flourishing. And the problem is that the Western civilization has bought into the wrong story. Unfortunately, the Western Church has often been duped by this false story as well. We've got to get back to a completely different understanding of human flourishing. You know, and Craig, I've alluded to Scripture, but what's so interesting is that there's a number of uh, interesting new fields. One of them is called uh, the science of happiness, <laughs> closely related to this something called the field of positive psychology. And secular scientists are all discovering the very same thing. The human being is deeply wired for relationship with ourselves, with others, with work, and with what Christians call a higher power. And it's interesting because this seems to be that vicious cycle here, you know, the proverbial dog chasing its own tail in the sense that ultimately from a biblical viewpoint, it is relationship that should give us the greatest sense of worth of being, of satisfaction, of fulfillment. Now, ultimately, in God's economy, that is through a relationship with him, but also when we when we are living in harmony with that relationship with him to our, through our relationship with Christ, that also means that we've got a proper biblical relationship with our spouse, with our children, with uh, people that we engage with at church at many levels. And so the degree of sense of, of satisfaction about life should be relationship-centric. But we've turned it on its heels, where we tend to lean towards consumerism as a means of finding satisfaction in life. And when it doesn't meet our expectations, rather than stopping and saying, hmm, maybe I'm going in circles here, what do we do in an attempt to try and find some level of satisfaction? We dig even deeper in. We go into that circle and that cycle even more fiercely, attempting to fill that lack of satisfaction in life with more stuff. If we just have a bigger car, the second boat, the third vacation, whatever it might be, we think that's going to be the thing that's going to finally give us a sense of satisfaction. Then we pull further away from those relationships, and now in the process of trying to solve our lack of satisfaction, we only make it worse. You've got it exactly correct. And what's so interesting, Craig, is that it's, this story isn't working for us. It's evident across our culture. But the irony of this is that when we approach trying to help poor people, our implicit message to the poor is that they should become just like us. 
And so the ways that we go about trying to help the poor are to try to get them onto the same consume-earn, consume-earn treadmill that the rest of us are on that's not working for the rest of us. Well, I take, and I tell you what's fascinating about that. I, I've been in and out of China on a number of occasions down through the last 20-something years. And as we began to see uh, a shift of wealth taking place in China, largely because of American trade with the country, and began to see the eventual improvement of job opportunities and wages and so forth, and where now the standard of living was beginning to increase. I recall at one point asking an underground church pastor what his biggest concern was for the future of his nation as they were beginning to experience, um, by all means, not any improvement when it came to a freedom of religion or freedom of the press, but at least economic freedom. And I recall him saying to me at the time that his biggest fear for China was that it would become so wrapped up in consumerism and the effort to try and obtain more stuff that its its interest, its spiritual hunger to know God would begin to be supplanted and diminish, so much so that suddenly then the desire for relationship with a higher being, with our Creator, would begin to take second seat to the desire to have more stuff. And as a result, he thought that as the biggest threat to the growth of the evangelical church in China. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, that pastor had great foresight, because yeah, I was actually just in China a year ago, and my word, the economic prosperity in some of those coastal cities is like nothing I've ever seen before. These are glitzy cities. Uh, quite frankly, I felt safer there than I do uh, in my own uh, neighborhood here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. These were <laughs> first-class cities. They were safe. They were clean. Uh, there was a Starbucks every 15 feet. It, it was, if you're a coffee drinker, it was nirvana. But what's so interesting is there's something called the World Happiness Report, and it's actually uh, now published annually. And uh, in last year's report, some of the leading economists of the world have discovered that over the past 25 years, the economic growth that we've seen in China is actually resulting in reductions in the self-reported happiness of the Chinese for the very things that you're addressing. We are deeply wired for relationship. And when parents have to leave the countryside and go to the city and leave their children behind, the family is fractured, the family is strained, it doesn't work. We're not wired for that. We're wired for deep community. And the indicators are that despite the massive increase in wealth in China, happiness is actually on a decline there. And, you know, ultimately the answer to all of this lies within the church, because while certainly you know, there's initiatives that can be taken to help the impoverished and improve employment and education opportunities um, and allow people through things like uh, microloans to be able to uh, uh, you know, become entrepreneurs and things of this sort, um, let's not create a, a, a false impression here that ultimately the key to satisfaction is just going to be, well, you need to be making six figures a year and that will solve all your problems. Um, as as we've learned, as we've studied and understand. And that level of success and satisfaction in life is not based on the amount of stuff that you're able to obtain. My goodness, America is the only country, you know, the only country on the planet that builds buildings to simply rent space to people to store stuff is the United States. Isn't that fascinating? 
Um, But we really, as the church, have a huge opportunity here, I think, to help those that are feeling that sense of frustration over the lack of the fleeting satisfaction of accumulation of wealth and stuff to be able to really point people in the right direction. Wouldn't you agree? Craig, I agree with you. But, you know, part of what our book is trying to argue is the church itself has bought into the false narrative. Oh, no doubt about it. Think about the influence of things like the Word of Faith and the Name It and Claim It movement. Absolutely. You know... If, if you reduce the gospel to its legal dimensions, if you reduce the gospel to, I'm a sinner, I deserve eternal punishment, and what Christ does on the cross is save me from my sins and solves my legal problem before a holy God, that story, while it's true, isn't enough to explain to us what to do when we get out of bed on Monday morning. When you reduce the gospel to purely a legal story, it doesn't tell us what to do Monday through Saturday. We need a narrative to govern our lives. And the narrative of the gospel in its fullness is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Jesus says he's come to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why he was sent. Jesus' message is that he is king of kings and lord of lords. He's using all power that he has in heaven and earth to make all things new. That every square inch of this cosmos, every second of every life, is to be lived under his lordship. And that gives Christians a high calling. We're called to be uh, the royal priest to the holy nation, 24-7, to point to our king. But without that 24-7 narrative, we're stuck with a story that says we worship God on Sunday morning, and Monday through Saturday we don't have a story, so what we do is we revert to the American dream. We end up living lives that basically say, my soul is, my soul is safe for all eternity, God's going to be my soul up to heaven, and I might as well live my best life now until I die pursuing the American dream. That's not the good life. That's not the story the Bible unfolds for us. And and sadly, oftentimes the approach, and as you aptly point out, uh, Professor Fickert, on an increasing base within basis within the Western Church, there is that sense that that Christianity is what you do. You go to church on Sunday. You hang out with fellow believers. Uh, you quote Bible passages when it's convenient, and then the rest of the week you go back to living whatever mundane life you have, as opposed to Christianity being relational based. And at the core being not what you do, but who you are, who you are in Christ Jesus. And sadly, that disconnect between the, the, the Christianity as a spectator sport versus fully participatory, uh, I think has largely been, been, um, hampered by a, a fleeting understanding of what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. Craig, that's it. I, I love that language of the difference between being a consumer being a full participant. You know, the most, most of us, I think, approach church like consumers. We kind of saunter in, uh, holding a, a, a cup of coffee in our hands, and we plop ourselves down, and we, we want to be entertained. Uh, at best, we want to critique the sermon, but it's not an encounter with God Almighty. It, it's, it's a consumer approach to church. And, and, and what happens then is we, we kind of we, we get our fix on Sunday, and we walk out the door, and nothing, there's no meaning, there's no purpose Monday through Saturday. But, but what, what, what the Bible teaches is that we are full participants, that believers are united to the very person of Jesus Christ. We are uh, raised uh, with Christ from the dead and seated with Him in the heavenly realms. 
We're restored to all that it means to be image bearers, and we're called to live into God's story, and that story is a redeeming story. And so God wants to use us as part of His unfolding story, not just in the next life, but in this life right now. Jesus reigns right now, and we are restored in Christ to be all that it means to be image bearers, to reflect His glory by being full participants in His story, in this creation right now. It gives us such a richer meaning and a richer purpose for getting out of bed Monday morning. Brian, we're going to have to have you back. I apologize. We lost some of the time. We, we kind of ignored the break there at 5.15 to, uh, to try and at least uh, um, redeem some of it. But I'd love to get you back and be able to engage for a full hour here because this is something that we really need to go deeper in. Uh, because, you know, if we could say, yeah, that's right, those, those centers out there, they need to get it together. Well, guess what? This is really about the church. At the core, it's about the church. And if we can't understand and live out this message before a lost and dying world, how can we ever expect the world to understand uh, who God is, what his plan is for us, and the wonderful grace that he shows towards us through his son on the cross? This is an engagement that we really need to be working at at multiple levels so that our Christianity is not a matter of what we do. If it was that, it would be a matter of works and just be a good guy and you make it to heaven, right? No, scripture it, says that we have a better story to tell than we're currently telling. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the way you phrase that. We have a much better story to tell, a better picture to paint than what we currently are. And uh, that's that's not the fault of the cross. That's the fault of the church. Brian Fickert, professor of economics at Covenant College. The book is called Becoming Whole, Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream. It's an eye-opener. And I hope you've heard even from our little bit of a sampling in conversation today uh, that this is a book you need to get a copy of. It's newly released by Moody Publishers. You'll find it available at the usual suspects, Amazon.com, and, of course, at Bay Area Christian Bookstores. Brian Fickert, professor of economics at Covenant College. The book, again, Becoming Whole, The Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream by Moody Press. All right, 536. We're going to get caught up here as best we can. Let's begin with an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. And uh, we're playing catch up here after our little technical snafu, but that's okay. We'll make it. And as we meet our next guest, you're almost going to think this was a setup because the conversation we had just a moment ago with Professor Brian Fickert dovetails nicely into my next guest. The, The issue here really at core is that church is not something we just show up to on Sunday. It can be. And it is, sadly, for a good percentage of Western Christians. But the church experience on Sunday really ought to be the culmination of a week, a week where you've been out, engaged, living your life. And Sunday morning is an opportunity then to come and get your batteries recharged for the rest of the week. And that recharging is not just to come and be entertained for an hour and pastor gets up and gives a nice message and you feel great, you head back out and live like the devil the rest of the week. It's rather an opportunity for you to have been giving all week in living out 
your life and in being a witness and hopefully, hopefully, at the very core, being a disciple and making disciples, because after all, that's what we've been at the core called to do, right? Great commandment, great commission. And then to come together on Sunday in the community worship experience, in the recharging of one's spiritual batteries experience, to be ready to go out into the world and do it all over again on Monday. My guest is Senior Pastor of Watsonville Christian Church, Pastor John Jester, a voice that you're familiar with. We kind of call him affectionately the Paul Harvey of Christian Radio. You hear his thoughts and comments here on KFAX several times during the week. And he joins us now for some conversation. Pastor Jester, great to visit with you. Hello, Craig. Great to be back on with you. Let's let's talk a little bit about this. I had a fascinating conversation with uh, Professor Brian Fickert from um, Covenant College. He's interestingly enough, he's an economics professor. We were talking the the topic of the American dream, and he said, you know, in, in many respects, we, we've kind of been lulled into the sense that the American dream means to be happy and satisfied in life is to have the big car, the big house, the big bank account, things of this sort. And, of course, at the end of the day, we know that from a scriptural perspective, God doesn't want us to get our satisfaction out of life from things, though he certainly can bless us. But rather, at the end of the day, it's really about relationships, be it relationships on the horizontal plane with our spouse, our family, our friends, the people whose lives we touched, and and ultimately out of our relationship with him. Has the church been at layers missing this because we've gone about doing church as opposed to really being the church? Absolutely, Craig. I listened to the uh, the segment before uh, I came on here, and I completely agree with that. Uh, so consumer-oriented. That's the world. You could really tell it's the devil's world trying to get us to buy the latest thing, bigger, bigger, more, more, more. In reality, what's really best many times is, is to simplify our lives. Um, our past president of our denomination, Joseph Decott Sr., used to repeatedly tell us, simplify your life. And that would give us more time with our Lord, with our families, with people in the church, to share our faith, to do the things that are really the most important things in life. So then that, that engagement in, at a relational level, you know, it's, it's interesting to note that if we look at the core of the gospel message and we sort of dig down into well, what was God really after here? I mean, for him to provide a means by which we might move out of the Old Covenant, which we did a dismal job at, at keeping. He was good at it, but we we not so. And for him to provide a means to say, okay, uh, you can't keep my law. You have a long history of failing to keep my law. So we're going to move into a different agreement. We're going to move into a new covenant that will allow through a sacrifice that my own son will make. He will pay the penalty in your stead, and that through that work— you will be forgiven of sins, reconciled in me. And God did all of this because because he wants relationship with us. That's a powerful thing. Sadly, a lot of people, I think, kind of kind of miss on that. They, they see salvation experience as fire insurance, <laughs> but they don't really see that God had more in mind here than just allowing us to skip out on the penalty that we should have paid what he really had in mind here was reconciliation that would lead to relationship, relationship with him. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we emphasize so much in our church prayer that our time with God, um, that it's such a blessing. 
Um, and so much of this world is taking up our time where we don't have the time with our Lord or our brothers and sisters in Christ or to share our faith with other people. Uh, but yeah, simplifying our lives and, and it gives us the opportunity to do the really most important things in life, you know, spending time with other people, uh, spending time with our Lord, sharing our faith, leading people to Christ, to listening, uh, serving and helping. Those are things that really fill people. I think what Jesus said, you lose your life for him, you really gain it. Did we lose them there? Tell you what, let's do this. We're going to, uh, <laughs> the technical challenges continue. We need a good chief engineer. That's what we need. Let's uh, let's take a time out here. We're going to get uh, caught up on some traffic. We'll give the guys a chance to drop another 25 cents in the coin slot, and we'll come back to our conversation. Pastor John Jester, Senior Pastor, Watsonville Christian Church, with us today. Back to more of that discussion in a moment. First, though, a quick discussion on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with the Paul Harvey of Christian Radio. <laughs> pastor John Jester, Senior Pastor at Watsonville Christian Church. You hear his insights and musings from a scriptural perspective multiple times during the week here on KFAX, including every Friday night at 515. And uh, we invite you to um, check out the website. There is a complete library of his insights available there at uh, the website of Watsonville Christian Church. It's simply W-A-T, think of Watsonville abbreviated, W-A-T-C-C dot O-R-G. That's W-A-T-C-C dot O-R-G. Pastor Jester, let's come back to our conversation related to this notion of um, the church is not what we ought to be doing, but rather who we ought to be being. Um, this disconnect, um, this disconnect that often happens where we don't really understand that what God is so desperate for here at the end of the day is really to walk in relationship with us. Absolutely. Absolutely, Craig. And it's such a blessing. Prayer, we tell our people repeatedly, prayer is such a blessing. Be able to talk to God, knowing he's going to hear every request, and he will answer in the very best way and the very best time. And at our little church, that's one of the things we do emphasize, is prayer, making uh, Lord's house the house of prayer. Uh, in fact, during our worship service every week, uh, we have what's called the thanks and prayer time. We pass the microphone up and down the rows. Everybody's got up to two minutes to offer prayer, uh, make a prayer request, or give us the answer to a prayer that's happened. And then I take the time and pray for each item. Uh, we also have a prayer warrior email team. We have prayer requests going out all the time. But having the time to pray to God and the relationship with Him and with one another is an incredible blessing that we have. Uh, for folks that want to get more information, I mentioned, of course, about the website. Tell us a bit about uh, service times. Uh, a lot of people that uh, commute up from the South Bay uh, that hear you here on KFAX every week are certainly invited um, to uh, to drop by and enjoy a Sunday worship service. Tell us more about that. We open the doors at 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. every every Sunday. Our worship service starts at 10, but when we open at 9, uh, we set up the hall. We have a great time to fellowship. If they're there by 9.30, they can join us in a pre-worship service prayer meeting. Uh, they can offer prayers, give prayer requests, give an answer to prayer, or just sit in and listen. The worship service starts at 10 a.m., and it lasts for about an hour and a half. 
beautiful music, again, the thanks and prayer time. We have expository sermons. Right now we're going through the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. We'll be on chapter 47 this Sunday. Uh, we go through every, every verse, every word, expounding it in a practical way, how to live it and put it into practice, not just hear it. And then afterwards we stay. We have the hall we rent. Um, we have snacks or a potluck every week after services. Everybody stays and spends time getting to know each other better. And it's just a wonderful occasion. We meet at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. It happens to be a historic landmark. It's the Watsonville Women's Club building. They can see pictures of it on our website, the watcc.org, and directions on there as well. And we also, as you mentioned, Craig, we have the 31-minute messages that rotate on KFAX are on the audio page. Uh, we also have a prior interview you did with us about our congregation is on there as well. And we welcome anybody that wants to come, uh, if they live in the area, passing through, or they want to come on a regular basis, everybody is welcome. We look forward to, to meeting them. It's a very well-lit building. We open up the blinds, a lot of sunshine coming in, and we look forward to meeting anybody that wants to come. Um, services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., and uh, the facilities opened at 9 a.m. They were at the historic Watsonville Women's Club building that's located at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville, and complete details available on the web at WATCC. Think of Watsonville, just W-A-T, abbreviated, Wat, W-A-T-C-C, for Watsonville Christian Church, WATCC.org. You can enjoy the insights of Pastor John Jester here, of course, every week on KFAX as well. Our thanks to Pastor John Jester, Senior Pastor at Watsonville Christian Church, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, we're coming up on uh, perilously on the hour of 6 o'clock, as they say, and that means, of course, we're going to get you a look at some headline news. We'll take a look at the latest traffic-wise and come back to more of our Thursday night program. We're going to spend a little time talking about alternatives to making money and uh, learning how to make your money work harder for you. Boy, wouldn't you like to just send your money off to work every day and you stay home and say, go out and bring home the bacon and I'll be here waiting for you. Well, <laughs> we're going to talk a bit about that and uh, that'll be coming up after the uh, top of the hour news and some traffic. Right now, let's get a look at that traffic. 559 from KFAX. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and get you that update on your Thursday ride home. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.